0: That's
1: It's the final word cricket podcast with Adam Collins in West London and sat opposite me is England great Ian Bell, who at the moment is with New Zealand as an assistant coach, which we can see there on your black caps jumper, which is a little bit jarring given how long we saw you wearing the England uniform across 118 test matches, such a long and distinguished career. Uh, but of course, this is the latest stage of your coaching journey. Hello. Uh, great to have you with us.
2: Yeah, hello. Yeah, it is. It's been, uh, I suppose, a fascinating summer, hasn't it, and you know, from my point of view, my coaching. You know, I've obviously been trying to get stuck into different environments. But um, yeah, it's uh, a little bit strange putting on a, uh, like I said, a New Zealand uh, track suit. I suppose that's the modern world of coaching now. Is you know, getting around. I think that's what franchise cricket's allowed. It's opened up a lot more doors and, and avenues to go and learn and uh, and be part of different uh, different teams. So it's uh, it's been great fun so far, and looking forward to the next couple of ODIs.
1: I've always liked your relationship with Australian cricket and how that now extends to your coaching as well. I mean, you went uh, into the Big Bash when you stopped playing international cricket and then moved into coaching ranks there pretty quickly. Uh, do you feel that all roads for you sort of lead back to Australia in a way?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I look back at my cricketing journey, you know, playing club cricket in Perth as well. That was the start of my, you know, I think where I, you, I sort of learnt the, I suppose the trade to you know outside of county cricket, you know, uh, fending for yourself and and seeing it from a different perspective. And I think with the coaching, I feel it's a similar start to the journey. Really, is to get into as many different environments. You know, not just the, the comfortable ones. I know, like Warwickshire and and to an extent England as well in those environments. But to actually get out and, and um, challenge yourself with different places. So obviously so going to Australia and coaching with New Zealand. You know, and, and trying to find different, uh, you know, I said avenues and, and challenges that hopefully when the right role comes up for me personally, you know, I've got a real on how I am as a coach and, and how I want to go about um, going forward like that. You hear
0: cliches about Australian cricket culture and English cricket culture and, and particularly young players going to Australia and learning that it's a hard school and all the rest of it. How much of that is a cliche or, or how much is there a distinct difference between the two sides of the world in that
2: regard? Personally, I, I mean, I look back on my own experience, you know, and it, and it, it was just what I needed at that time. And I obviously, John, John Inverarity was the head coach of Warwickshire at the, at the time and obviously lived in Perth uh, and thought for me again, you know, I've been very lucky. I'd come through the, you know, I suppose the ECB setup from, you know, under 14s, you know, played under 19s at 16. So I'm very much in there, you know, in the channels and pretty much a lot of things are done for you. So I think the experience of going to Australia on your own, not just for the cricket, but just the whole, you know, maturity of you need on and off the field to become a you know, a top notch cricketer. So I think th- there was so much to it. And I, as I look back, it was such a, a big moment for me. I met people there again, you know, that that, that did help me along on, on my journey. But you're right. And, and, and as an English guy in Australian cricket, especially as a youngster, you have to fend, you know, you, you, you're going to cop a fair bit and you have to stand up a little bit for yourself. Uh, I still remember. Chris Rogers' dad, um, I think he was chairman at the time, did sort of say, I might have to start in the second team and work my way into the first team, which was, you hear those kind of stories, but it was true, I did get that. But I did start in the first team and it was what I suppose, like like in anything, it's, um, you know, regardless of what you've done in county cricket, whether you played a couple of years, you know, you've got to earn your respect for that team. And as soon as you got out there, put a few performances it was like you were you know, you were part of something and um the guys were doing anything for you. So I had some great memories, some good friendships that again when I'm in that part of the world, you know, always always catch up with people. So yeah, a great part and, and as you sort of touched on with the coaching, it feels like I'm on that start of the journey again and, um, you know, which is which is uh, really exciting.
1: Due to the way you entered people's consciousness, uh, I suspect you'll always be thought of as like a 20-something-year-old prodigy, but now well removed from your playing days, you have this desire to climb the mountain again as a coach. Talk us through that, having done it as a player, now making the decision to reset and effectively go back to the start.
2: Yeah, and I think like retiring is such a terrible word from sport because you're so young still, and there's so much more to do. It doesn't matter what you've, you know, well, you know where you've been and how much money you've earned or any of that stuff in football, cricket, any of that stuff is such a terrible word. You need to mentally be active, and that's what I found. And I think probably as well. A lot of my, the guys I really admired probably went into coaching as well. So the guys I had big relationships with, you know, even I look back with the work I did with Graham Gooch, um, you know, Neil Abley, some of the mentors I had along the way, like I said, they were, that was what they went into after they finished playing. So I think it was always something that I, you know, wanted to do from an early age. I always felt that was it. I, I, again, as, as, as me as a personality, you know, the way I trained in the nets, so, you know, I was a bit of a cricket badger as well. So I like getting in there. And I suppose, you know, when it comes down to coaching and obviously coaching has so many different parts of it, you know, when you're working with Kane Williamson here or, you know, working with England and 19s or something like that, different says you have to use different skill sets to what you're, what you're doing. And that, that's, that's the fascinating part. And obviously, again, I think from co- when I look in at, you know, what Brendan McCullum's done now with England, you know, that fascinates me so much because it's not technique. He is amazing. Yeah. He's, he's taken a group of players that you know that had so much talent. You know, I think it was one in 18 games. You know, wins the year before to 10 on the bounce or whatever, nine out of 10. Or you know, fast, that 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 stuff is the the fascinating bit. I think with coaching and man managing and and the skill set you need to learn because when you're a player, you're you're a little bit. You want to be a good team player. You're a bit tunnel visioned on what I need to do for the team. You know, when you become a coach, it's not about you anymore. It's about, you know, the guys around you and how you help them become the best version of themselves. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things in there that, like I said, do fascinate me, you know, and, and, and that's the journey I'm on now is to be the best I can be in that. You know, as a player, as a youngster, I want to be the best cricketer I could be. And I suppose coaching now, that's the challenge now is to try and, you know, work in different environments to become the best I can be.
0: And was it something as well to ease the transition? Because like you say, it's such a weird concept retiring as, as an athlete, right? Like you've from early teenage years, probably at the latest, yeah. you've, you've been obsessively focused on this one thing. You've done this for a number of years and then you're retiring at 30 or 32 or 38 or whatever it is. In in any other walk of life, you're young, but you're in sport and people are talking about, you know, oh, the grizzled old veteran at 34 walking out to the middle. It, it's a bizarre inversion of everything that we know to be naturally true right and so so when you suddenly come to the end of that it, it's it's an abrupt and shocking thing for a lot of players so was it something that made it easier to to have a bridge to something else that was still connected yeah to the game? I
2: mean I certainly want, had a plan I mean and, and, and to be fair I mean the PCA are fantastic you know with, with cricket the the, the the work that is out there I suppose in certainly in England you know and the work that getting guys prepared for that time. But it is, it, you're right, it's a bit of a shock. And in a way, I probably tried to layer it a little bit. I mean, again, you know, the jump from not playing for England anymore to going back to county cricket is a big jump as well. You know, the mm. environment you're in, the grounds you're playing at, full house, you know, it, it's a very different vibe than to going back to domestic cricket. So that that took a little bit of adjustment again. And then obviously, again, just to finish playing cricket full stop is is huge. But I, I did try, and again, it felt like I staggered it um, rather than one big jump of, of finishing with England. But it's, um, yeah, and I said it was, you know, I tried to, like I said, have a plan. You know, I was still playing, you know, for Warwickshire when I was doing some coaching with England in the So it felt like I was just trying to transition the right way. You know, and I think, as you said, for any sportsman, in you know, when you, when that day comes and you don't play anymore, as you said, you've geared your whole life to playing. Uh, it's, it's a massive shock to the system. So having a plan is, is, is really important, whatever that is, whatever you, your interest is. Because um, as I said, there's only a certain amount of games of golf you can play. <laughs> you know, when you're <laughs> retired, you need to be mentally stimulated and active, and, and have some real goals that you want to achieve. So it's uh, yeah, it's that, that's that sort of my vibe. And as I said, I just generally love it. Again, it's been it's been strange working, well, I suppose, with a, um, a different country, but I've really enjoyed it. The group, just getting to know them, because again, from New Zealand, you know, when you play against you, you would only admire the environment they create, the culture, the way they go about the game, and and the way they play. So to be involved in that, it's, I suppose it's everything. Think I expected it to be, but it's been awesome to to be part of their journey. Now going, I suppose, going to the World Cup that which I'm not going with them, but just seeing them prep for that. So I I love all that stuff, and yeah, it's been uh, it's been awesome to be part of.
1: As is the form in these interviews, we like to go back right to the very start of uh, our subjects' cricketing journeys, and for you, that's near the town of rugby as opposed to cricket. You went to a school though that uh, clearly nurtured your game uh, with your younger brother playing as well. Was it the case for the pair of you that, that cricket was always there from the get-go?
2: Yeah, I mean, just a very sporty family, really. You know, I, I, weekends growing up, you know, whether it was football, uh, cricket, me and my brother would go up there and watch my dad. You know, that's what it was, you know, play on the side and just as, as you know, the normal sort of start to everything. Uh, I suppose I was quite lucky. You, you're lucky on your journey, aren't you, who the people you meet? So I was lucky. I, I went to Princeton College, just near Leamington, and the head of sport there was obviously incredibly good to me Recognised what I wanted where, where I probably was when I did go to that school and and allow and the school were excellent really in terms of allowing me to pursue my you know my cricketing skills I mean again as I said I, I went on my first England and 19 tour at 16 so prime sort of GCSE time and everything like that so to go to Australia uh, so to New Zealand for, for two months was a bit of a but again it what they, it, they never blocked me at any stage in terms of that you know they, we had the keys to the indoor uh, the you know the sports also so we could net when this term was out and also so yeah I look back again you know um, a guy called Gwilym Price who was like a head of sport was again perfect for me at that time and had allowed encouraged and allowed me to 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 maximize what I had going through you know the I suppose the Warwickshire setup as, as much as what the school allowed me to do as well.
0: Is there a moment on the field when you're a kid that you remember where you do something really good in a game for the first time, when you, you get that taste of, of how it feels to influence the outcome of a, a match, for instance?
2: Oh, I do remember, I mean, again, when you go to Edgebaston, you know, on the Colts ground now, next door to the main stadium, you know, that you never used to have any nets there and we actually used to play there under 11. So scoring my first 100 on that ground, I think there was a championship game going on at the same time and I think the lunch break, all of a sudden, I still remember and my dad like, still tells me that, you know, people were coming over you know, from the from the from the main stadium, you know, in, in the lunch break, to come and watch this under 11s game that was going on. So I think that was one of the moments I sort of remember. Again, you know, for the first time scoring a hundred, and, and again, I was very lucky. I think at that, that that stage of my journey, I mean, Warwickshire were incredibly strong in the nineties, early nineties. You know, having you know, I think they won the treble. You know, going to Lords regularly. You know, as a as a kid to watch them and then run on the outfield. You know, after games. You know, those kind of memories that just make you love the game and want to, you know, go on that journey, you know, so a lot of it actually at the time was wanting to play for Warwickshire, they were my heroes, you know, England would have been a bonus, but um, yeah, some, some great times when I was younger, you know, on the field as a, as a junior cricketer, but, you know, watching Warwickshire, as I said, you know, with, when we had Brian Lara in his peak, you know, Alan Donald, you know, it was an incredible time to, to be able to go down to Edgbaston and watch, you know, Warwickshire as well.
1: Now, not many players are lucky enough to have a true signature shot, but you do, of course, the cover drive, which will always be referred to when speaking about your cricket. When does that first become a trademark for you with people swooning over it? Is it kind of around this age bracket, 11 or 12 years of
2: age? Yeah, potentially. I I, I guess, as I said, again, I think going through the Warwickshire system, you know, I worked with a guy called Neil Abley, Probably from the age of about 11 uh, all the way through to he passed away I think I'd played about 75 test matches for England when he when he passed away but that time generation then as well I was all about technique knowing the top of off stump you know having a good defense you know so that was really the era you know and the sort of certainly through the winters and the coaching that I was it was all about like I said keeping it simple but working really hard on your technique I mean the generation now is you know it's it's very different there's so much more going on isn't there a t20 I've got a lad who's 10 years old and ramping reverse ramping all this stuff now rather than a cover drive but it's that was really sort of grained into me really from an early age was that kind of four-day technique top of off stump you know being able to leave the ball well but also really working hard on you know your foundations of the game as I said it's a little bit different now with the the number of formats we have in terms of the skill set you need but yeah it was just really grained in and, and I suppose you know Yeah, it's just, you know, whether I was quite fortunate that it just looked quite nice. Everything, you know, I seemed to do work, but I think that probably came down to, again, repetition and the amount of work that I put in technically, but around, I suppose, that longer format of the game, which is, I suppose, was the old-fashioned kind of way in terms of, you know, really knowing where your off stump was and and having put all that game together.
0: Your first-class debut, you're very young. You're, what, 17 (laughs) when when you play for the first time? I mean, it doesn't go... All that well, get a three-baller. Yeah. But nonetheless, you're, you're playing first-class cricket at yeah. that age. Is there? Did that just feel
2: natural that you were ascending that quickly? Like, did, do you have that bravado of, of a teenager who goes... Yeah, or, not, or not, not really. I mean, I, just, I remember being at school. I remember, like, again, I think it was lower sixth at the time and getting a phone call saying, you need to get to Edge and you've been... You're going to play... Because um, I think it was the last game of the season, but it was also the last time it was one division so I think if Warwickshire won they could have started in division one but I think there was another game that happened so the game was over in two days against Sussex uh, and I remember it Jason Lurie out out in see you later Hobbs everywhere <laughs> so a bit of a schooling there. to the, yeah, to the big yeah, time. exactly but it, it was um yeah amazing experience but yeah again it, and I probably then you know it wasn't until I was 19 that I probably played in that Warwickshire team consistently so it was a, probably wasn't quite ready for that at the time but yeah it was it was a bit um surreal really just going from school or getting taken out of school to go to a cricket game and then suddenly you are playing with you know guys that you've watched for a long time and and against as well so yeah it was good and Warwickshire won the game which was great but uh yeah it was surreal to be out in the middle of Edgebaston, which I'd never played in the middle of Edgebaston before so it was incredible but I suppose through that kind of journey at that point you know things had gone really well you know as I said from England under 14s to playing under 19s quite quickly and yeah, I think um Uh, It was uh, Dale Hadley that sort of made a bit of a comment, you know, early saying, I think he was one of the best 16 year olds he's seen. So that does get some traction. So there was always these kind of things that, you know, I didn't pay too much attention to. And obviously it's a compliment, but I sort of felt that things were going in the right direction pretty quickly.
0: Were you shitting yourself though when when you get out there?
2: (laughs) I think you do. I don't think that stops. Like in terms of your, you know, the nerves, it's just understanding how you control them. I think any batter, uh, any level you go, they always have that little bit, that little bit of. nerves before you're waiting to bat but yeah there's no doubt um that one was uh, like i said it was um and I think we knocked it off about three or four down. I wasn't needed uh, second innings, which was which was uh, very popular because I think I was just about to strap them on, which I, I was definitely shitting themselves then. <laughs> yeah, as you allude to, they, you've got tongues
1: wagging by this point. You mentioned that Dale Hadley, the, the quote from his that uh, you were the best 16-year-old he'd ever seen. You know, hearing you talk there, it's a total boy's own stuff, isn't it? You know, dragged out of school for a county game, England 19s tours, doesn't, get much better than that as a 16, 17-year-old. But your next first-class match is quite unusual as well. In the Caribbean, when England A, as it was known at the time, had... Aside in the West Indies domestic four-day competition, which now a generation on or more than that seems visionary, uh, if unusual. And looking through the guys you were out there with, Ian Ward, John Crawley, Mark Elaine, Graham Swan, Tudor, Silverwood, some serious England players.
2: So again, pretty cool, albeit unusual experience. Yeah, so literally I'd gone from captain, I think, England in the 19s in India, which was a great experience, again, you know, scoring runs, but then going straight from there to the West Indies. We actually played at a, a ground uh, in Anguilla, which was... And we got there, and it was like the kind of wickets that you heard back in the day, like these kind of mirror-shiny-looking wickets, and it absolutely trammed through. Um, and the Ridley Jacobs keeping wicket for the Leeward Islands. So it was... And obviously, I was a young lad. Again, and I hadn't scored a first-class run when I walked out to the middle, and literally, they absolutely peppered me. I was bruised everywhere at the top of my like, And then I got a few away. So I think I got my first first-class runs, yeah, in Anguilla on a fast wicket. But again, like you said, it was um, probably one of the last kind of old-school A-tours where they picked the best of County before it turned into, I suppose, academies and more of a programme for like a mixture of young and, and old. It was that. And obviously, they yeah, they were in the Buster Cup at the time. It was I think it was a long tour out there playing four-day cricket in, in the actual... In, in the Caribbean which was amazing experience but as you said to, to be a part of that group again of experienced cricketers and and the, some of the relationships that would start you know and um, be part of you know the England side for, for years to come as well which, which was cool It'll probably never happen again like that I
0: mean do you do you think about the fact that you're, you're fortunate to have had an experience like that where a, a player coming up, yeah, sure, they can go and get in the Mumbai Indians Academy and, and practice the ramp shot and whatever, but but they'll never be being bombed in four-day cricket by serious Caribbean quicks while they're still teenagers?
2: Uh, no, no, well, probably not really. I mean, that's the balance now, isn't it, as well, you know, with, with the amount of cricket and franchise cricket that's on the table now and, and Lions programs. So obviously, there is an England Lions program to India this year, which, again, from an experience point of view for young players we have... You know that's that's an experience that's well worth banking. You know that they are the biggest challenges. You know, Test cricket in Australia and Test cricket in India. They they are the pinnacle. I was lucky enough to be part of teams that won in those parts, and you look back and think they were the best things that happened to that team. Really, so I think when you get the opportunities to bank experiences like that, is great. Franchise cricket is awesome, and and like you said, it's 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 um, it's not going away. But you know. I think those kind of Red Bull opportunities in, in parts of the world that will test you, that you know down the line you're going to have those, is going to come your way. So to bank those, those experiences, I think, is, is really valuable. Right, so
1: by 2001, you're established in that first team at Warwickshire. You're still a teenager, of course, but you hit your first three first-class centuries. Yeah, you go on to make 57 of those all up. But what are your recollections of raising your bat as a professional for the first time and starting to feel like you belonged?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I, mean, I think I think at Trent it might be Nottingham, I think at Edge Baston was one of them definitely. And Again, a, a team that I admired a lot and and watched um, you know, so yeah, to get to, to get out there and start putting in performances, that was what it was about. And I think things are a little bit different now and it was obviously in the old, you know, old pavilion at uh, Edge Baston, which the dressing rooms were way smaller than what they are now. It's an incredible facility. So again to You know, as a youngster coming in, you know, you didn't have a locker. You just, you know, you had to sort of, it felt like you nearly had to earn that right, you know, getting your county cap and getting the things that came with it. So, you know, you'd go in there, you'd, you know, find a spot that no one's sitting in for that game, but that, that would change from week to week. So you're right. So by the time you start putting in performances, and the dream was always to get your county cap, and then you, you know, you had a locker. I think at the time there was like a a, a a club car if you were capped. So there's all those little things that came with performances at the time, which it's a bit different now. I don't think that, that those things really exist anymore. But yeah, there was, um, it, it felt like, yeah, you belonged when you started putting in performances out in the middle, you know, like I said, to get, the, you know, to get your locker, to get your county cap, all that kind of stuff was just, um, you know, with, with what came with the performances, but were other parts of the jigsaw that, that you desperately wanted as well. Then later in that,
1: 2001 breakout year you called up as injury cover for England now I know you don't play test cricket for a couple of years on from that but for you just knowing that not only were you kind of on the radar peripherally but they were already seriously thinking about you as a, a test prospect that that's quite quite a lot for someone of 19 years
2: yeah and again i'd been away pretty much all winter in Australia with the I suppose the first year of the academy we were in adelaide, and then we played we went around and played a few games after Christmas, but I think I'd literally landed home from perth i'd been home for twenty four hours and then got a phone call saying "You're going to New Zealand, so that was always a nice uh, loop of the world <laughs> um to to manage to do that so they couldn't have they couldn't have told me twenty four hours before when I was in perth, but yeah it was look, it was a great experience and I spoke to Duncan Fletcher recently actually about that because again you don't you know Duncan sometimes was quite hard to read as a as a younger player He was quite a you know quiet guy and got to know him a hell of a lot better since but yeah part of that was just they were having a good look at me really they were having a you know look at me in the nets and you know he said like straight away he saw me in the nets and it was like that but no, I never really felt that at the time do you know what I mean he didn't really you know told me what he thought of me at the time but um yeah it was great to be part of I think I was actually in the air when I think Graham Thorpe had got a double hundred and then Nathan Astle had got a double hundred as well at uh, in Christchurch and smashing it to all parts so again it was yeah it was a nice series to be part of obviously we've been, you know be with Stephen Fleming as well in this series as well so it's been good to chat about a few of those things as well but yeah it's uh, it was nice to be part of that again all of a sudden you are in there with with guys that you've admired and and looked at as heroes and all of a sudden you're sat in that dressing room at 19 which yeah it's, it's, it's a bit strange.
0: Do you remember how you passed the time for 48 hours
2: <laughs> sitting on a plane and then sitting back on the plane again? Did, did they at least have some good movies I on th- for you? Oh, they must certainly? have done. I remember going in with David Graveney, who was obviously chairman at the He went, I think he went left to first class. I went right to business class. So I do remember <laughs> that clearly. He had a set of golf clubs. I had my cricket bag. So it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting interesting one, as I said, but uh, an amazing experience again to you know to be out in in New Zealand watching you know all of a sudden you're in a test match dressing room which again at 19 I never thought that would that would you know be a possibility at that time so watching close up you know Thorpe and you know Atherton and Hussain and and all those guys again that you'd admired and watched for a, a, a long time You
1: go through a little bit of the second album blues around 2002 and 2003, of course, quite common for a young player. But then in 2004, a huge harvest with over 1,700 runs. That includes an unbeaten 262 against Sussex. And with everything breaking your way through that season, England call you up for a test debut. What are your recollections of that first week in Michael Vaughan's team when they were building to something pretty special? I mean, your timing was immaculate,
2: wasn't it? it, it yeah, I think timing is everything. I mean, I look back as you said there. I mean, I had a you know a couple of years where. I actually started to just tweak my technique a little bit as well. When the result, when the outcome wasn't coming, I started to change a little bit. I've always gone back and across with my trigger movements and stopped that. And so you sort of chased your tail. And that goes back to what we were saying about going to Australia. I think I went back to Australia, worked with a few people there and really got clarity back to doing what worked for me and being natural on my game and, and playing my way. And then came back to have that real great season. But that was off the back of probably a long, a good season, you know, in Perth where I... You know, I worked, you know, really hard on my game and then challenged myself, you know, in in Australian club cricket. So it gave me, like I said, I came back a different player, I think, um, from that experience, not just in the nets and within, again, the Warwickshire system or the ECB system as a young player. Actually, this is something new. This is get out there and fend for yourself kind of thing. So I think I matured as well as a player, as a person. Uh, and came back and hit the ground running really um, you know which was, which was great I had some real clarity as I said I went back to what I you know how I'd always played the game you know triggering back and across yeah and it was just a great summer and as you said England I think I remember that I mean Harmison. I think you know I think they went to number one in the world as a bowler in the West Indies and you know watching that again and then suddenly um, you know Straussy was in the team that I'd obviously spend a bit of time with as well and I think England beat New Zealand and they beat West Indies and I was in for that last game. So yeah, an incredible timing You know, to walk into a dressing room which is happy and settled is, is nice for any player. So yeah, it was, it was nice to get in there and, and, and get a few runs better than my first class debut anyway.
1: Yes, I, I was going to say, I mean, you make runs batting with Freddie Flintoff and then you take a, a snaffle to get rid of Brian Lara, and at the time the best player in the world. So again, that, that idea of belonging at that level and knowing pretty much straight away that you'd be competitive there.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. The great thing, I was in good form. As you said, I scored a lot of runs for Warwickshire. We won the championship that year as well. So, you know, I was in a great place, you know. And again, a lot of, you know, when you're in good form, you're just, you're so calm and you're just clear and watching the ball. You're not trying too hard. So it was, yeah, it was a great time personally and as a team to, to be part of. And I think actually... I still got a picture at home. You know, Fidel Edwards hit me actually on the back shoulder, and still on. I was on north for quite a while actually, and it went over the slips off my back shoulder. So that, that brought back memories of playing the West Indies again on that England A tour. But um, yeah, it was um, yeah great time, and managed to get a few, like I said, nice shots out there and, and be part of a win as well, which which was great. I think I caught a nice catch of gully as well off uh, Sawan as well. I think it might have been from Har- Harmy as well. So yeah, it was it was great, and um, it was a I suppose the icing on the cake for me for a great summer and domestically. And then to, to, to be part of a, an England side that had such a great summer and probably starting to build up for what was, you're looking about, about that 2005 Ashes, that team was just starting to build, you know, minus KP. But that you, the bowling unit in particular, you could see, you know, from Harmson, Hoggard, Jones, Ashley Giles, it was all Flintoff. It was all building up nicely now and the momentum was just starting to, to, to get together so that they had the confidence to, to take on Australia in 2005.
0: We've mentioned runs, we've mentioned catches, but after this, you go on an A tour to Sri Lanka yep. and pick up six wickets
2: in a four-day game. What's going on there? How, how does that come about? I don't know. I don't know. It did, swing. it did swing. I mean, the bowling. I used to like. I used to enjoy bowling. You know, with the Duke's ball in England, I think I think a four for four was one of my best figures at Lords actually. And people say oh, it must have been a terrible wicket, but I think Nick Knight got a triple hundred in that game as well. So it was a pretty flat deck. <laughs> but um, as we know in Lords, if the overhead conditions are right, it does swing around. But um, yeah, no, I enjoyed it and. Yeah, the body was a bit, uh, yeah, bowling in Sri Lanka is not fun. It's it's uh, seriously hot and humid, so it's better batting. But um, yeah, I, I did enjoy turning my arm over and actually got a stress fracture of the back when, um, I mean, obviously we had Sean Pollock over as overseas player uh, one of the years. I can't think what year that was. And um, it, was the, it was actually the day that the news broke about Hansi Cronje dying in uh, a, a crash. So he went off the field pretty much for the day. And I think I bowled 26 overs from one end, and that was nearly the end of my bowling career, really, because uh, <laughs> my back was literally in pieces. But um, yeah, but I did, I did enjoy having a bowl. Hi,
0: I'm Ian Chapel. You're listening to the Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon.
1: Yeah, on that a tier, I mentioned Graham Swan and you having played a little bit with him as a younger lad in the Windies, but also there's Alistair Cook, who is still going strong now. I wondered if you're envious of that at all. And on that same theme, you're the same age as Jimmy Anderson, of course. Does it feel a little bit odd for you now that you feel a long time retired, but these close peers of yours are still at it in the professional game?
2: Yeah no it, it it is and i think um, certainly Jimmy me and Jimmy are the same age and obviously played he, Jimmy came quite late into the under 19s the England 19s but he yeah we were exactly the same as Cookie was obviously a fair bit younger i think he's 36 37 now but yeah it's, so it's yeah it's great i mean it's great to see the longevity of Jimmy and, and Broadie as well in particular i mean Broadie at 37 you know, and, and what we're seeing now, as I said, Jimmy's looked after himself incredibly well as a bowler, but it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I, know, I know that a lot of people talked about his performance in the Ashes, but it was more of a shock for everyone that he didn't get the wickets. And I still think there's enough... There's enough in there of the next few years to, to still get more of Jimmy as well, which is quite incredible. As I said, I knew when I finished playing, you know, walking down the stairs after a long day in the field, you know, I'd be walking down sideways because of my knees. But God knows how he keeps doing it at, at 41. It's um, it's quite incredible. And as I said, I, I actually you know, some of the names you've mentioned, and I, I think in that era, you know, I feel you know lucky in a way and privileged that you know we had a good team, some great players, you know, from Cookie, KP, Jimmy, Broadie, Swanee. It can go on and on. I mean, Straussy, you know, some great players in in that that team you know we managed to do some pretty special things which was great
0: you talked about the importance of timing there's that timing going into 2005 you're not in South Africa for the tour before that but 65 not out against Bangladesh at Lords, make 100 at Durham you don't get out in the series and the Ashes are coming up next uh, a were you fully confident that you were going to get picked and play and and B did you have any concept before going into it of what you were about to get yourself into
2: um, do you know what? I, I, I probably wasn't overthinking it at the time. You know, I was just loving, I was being a young kid playing for England and, you know, like I said, it was it was crack on. And I, I think when I look back now, there's no doubt, I don't think, you know, what was coming in terms of 2005 Ashes, Australia, still I think that period, that team, and when we went 6-7, the players, that was the best team I ever played cricket against. There's no doubt, like, that on paper was incredible. So probably, and I think a lot of guys, until you go through your first Ashes, you don't quite know what's coming. You know, not to say that the standard of cricket goes up, but just everything that goes on around it, the the expectation, the pressure, you know, just the the attention on everything you do. And that, that series was incredible. One, it was on terrestrial TV. Two, it just a bit like this one this year as well, just captured the imagination of everyone, didn't it? So it was such an experience to go through. I know that I didn't perform to the max that I would love to, and you always want to perform to your best, but I thought in terms of an education, in terms of Ashes cricket, it couldn't have been a better education, you know, to go and play Warren, McGrath, Lee, in those kind of games, will be part of like the edge bastion test match, you know, right down to the wire. Those things... Like I said, to have them in the bank and those experience, emotionally have those experiences is, was quite incredible. So I feel lucky again to have played in that series. I think that knowing it now, there's, there is a difference. There's Test cricket and then there's Ashes cricket and everything just gets raised that little bit and you just have to be prepared for that really and it's not necessarily I said the standard of the cricket goes up but the, the the weight of everything else does go up and just having a method for that and understanding that. so I think when you've gone through your first one you know what's coming now you know and it's um, it's uh, like I said it's they're the series you want to be part of and and that one again was was seriously special some some amazing days for for, for English cricket no doubt
1: yeah, that's a great point about your cricketing education, benefiting from having been involved in a series that people are going to talk about forever so early on in the piece. And and, and part of that is Australia targeting the young guy as they tended to do at the time. And how you dealt with that. I, mean, I think it gets lost a little bit in all of this in 2005 that you make two pretty important half-centuries at Manchester when the series was on a knife edge. But, yeah, that, that must have been something all of these all-time Australian greats going after you as the new kid on the block.
2: Yeah, 100%, and you expect that. And it, and it still goes back to club cricket in Australia. I said I had to earn my respect in that, and it felt exactly the same 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 journey on this one. I mean, it's great. I mean, I had some really good conversations. I said, when I played... Um, you know, for the Perth Scorchers there, obviously Justin Langer. So I sat with him on the flight, a number of flights. So We had lots of good conversations about that. And what, what fascinates me about that group as well is as a young player, certainly like I think you look at those as a little bit like they're unhuman. They, are, they, they just deliver. They're so good. But the amount of conversation I had with him saying how nervous they were, you know, he couldn't sleep at night. And you just look at them and, and actually then you start realising and that's the beauty of these kind of things is, you know, you think you're nervous, but the reality is everyone, all, all 22 players who are part of that game are all nervous. And it's how you deal with it. And like I said, at times, you sort of look to them as, you know, immortal really. But actually you know, the reality is that everyone was having those same feelings and it's how you deal with those things, which is really important. And, that, and I suppose when you coach, that's just trying to pass that knowledge on to, to younger players as well. But yeah, it was yeah incredible to be part of. Like I said, you want to contribute. You know, I felt like I took a lot of catches at short leg and, and did my bit for the team. You know, I'd love to score more runs in that series, but as you said, it's um, to be part of it and try and make contributions along the way was awesome. And I wouldn't change it for the world. As I said, it was a amazing series to be part of. And, um, you know, and actually I, I look back then when we went to Australia in six seven, I think I averaged thirty five. We I know we lost five nil, but I actually started to believe then, you know, playing war, playing McGrath, you know, I was hitting Warney straight back over. Just at the confidence to actually have a bit more of a go. I think when I look back at two thousand five I probably paid a little bit too much respect to them and tried a bit too hard just to not get out rather than actually actually have a go. And I think I started to do that. As, as certainly, that's how I like to play spin anyway was be positive and I probably wasn't positive enough. So I think that, that transition of believing to be good, just to have a, have, take them on, you know, have a go, you know, be positive was was a real important balance for me going forward.
0: That's interesting about 06, 07, because, I mean, from a team's mm. perspective, the highs and the lows mm. of, of winning versus getting blown off the park. But, and, and the fact that the Australians are so angry, they're so <laughs> determined to, to take revenge, as it were. But, that you feel at the end of it that you're able to take something out of that
2: series. That's an interesting observation. Well, I think myself and Cookie, Cookie got 100 at uh, Perth. I think I got 85. So we're starting to believe, again, and again, those experiences for when we came back, probably in 2011, you know, you bank them, you know. And I know that Australia team, as I said, I still, all the teams that I've played in, you know, those two teams, those two Australian teams on paper were absolutely incredible. You know, some of the best players have ever played the game, so... Again, like I said, I'm lucky to play with some great players, but to play against some of those guys again, you know, it's funny, a lot of the guys, I in, you because know, we were relatively still a young, young player at that point, you know, a lot of guys I played never got the chance to play against, you know, Ponting and Warren and McGrath. And until you have, you don't quite know what it's like. And it's uh, like I said, they are uh, some of the best players of all time. So yeah, to get those experiences again is, is awesome, really.
1: Going back through the time of it you had in sort of 2007, 2008, 2009, there's a couple of Lord Centuries, including 199 against South Africa, then 450s on the trot against India and Sri Lanka, but one rough trip to India in later 2008 and you lose your spot. Looking at it now, looking back at it in hindsight, was it maybe the case that you had a relatively short leash at the time, maybe informed by you being a golden boy of sorts and judged on a a harsher curve?
2: Uh, well certainly there was probably an expectation on on me to deliver a a high standard i think that yeah people would have yeah if i hadn't uh, i suppose there's always a lot of chat wasn't there and and and, you know hick and rampakash sort of got labeled that as well like in terms of did they fulfill their potential and i probably felt that people were always expecting me to do something rather than maybe people who hadn't gone through what i'd gone through earlier in my career in terms of youth cricket but you know you try to put that to bed and you just try to do what you do like i said you know, I, I did feel there was a bit of that. That, like I said, there was an expectation on performance for myself, but you know, I, I wasn't too too worried about that. I mean, one of the best moments for me again, I, I, when I look back, again, I got left out. Um, we got bowled out in Jamaica, uh, I think for fifty six or whatever it was. It was Attorney More and uh, just taken over, and, and Andy was in interim charge, and I got left out that tour. There was Nash's tour the next summer, and for me, it was probably the best moment. I played probably about forty test matches at that point, played nicely, but a little bit again, a couple of inconsistent series along the way but for me at that time you know it gave me a little bit of a reset but no there was still a long tour to go a whiteboard tour as well as that so you know I looked back I trained so hard on that that tour you know I was up at 6.30 in the mornings with Reg Dickinson who was the head of security there we were just training training ready to for when the season came back to England so I, I pretty much knew that I wasn't going to play a game now on this West Indies tour could have had a great time probably should have had more of a better time but I, I trained, trained the house down to be ready and I think I got back first game of the season at Taunton I got a double hundred. So I just wanted to be the next guy ready to go this Ashes series and actually came down. I think KP got injured, I want to say, in the second game. So I was back in 50 at Edgbaston and then my career got back on path, you know, again, so I was only left out for five or six games. But I think I came, then came back a little bit more ruthless in my own, where I was in my career at that point. So there again, there were little moments. Again, sometimes you have to just take a step back, reset and, and like, like in all of it, you get knocked down, you know, and... and you know it's how you get back up and go again uh, international cricket's full of highs and lows you know the day you don't want to yeah. get up again is the day you're, you're pretty much probably done aren't you but you have to well, however great a player is they're going to go through the highs and lows and you know you, you you know you accept the criticism you have some pretty average days it's just how you get up and you go again and become a bit tougher and you know I felt that the little moments but they, they're moments that actually probably made me a better player for the second half of my um, you know international career
0: there's that from a team basis as well as the individual, like Mm. you talk about being smashed up in the West Indies uh, to that England team winning the Ashes in 2009 Mm. and then your personal trajectory follows the same Mm. path, you make a a vital half century at the Oval to help clinch that series it's interesting how it all comes together is there, can you take something out now when in your current work coaching can you look back at those dressing rooms and and try to work out how things went right how things went wrong but like the dynamic of a team is so complicated it's not just one person's career it's all of those careers intertwining and influencing each other is your playing career something you can look back to 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 try to pull things out yeah um, to learn from
2: and and to use in your current job 100% I still look back as well when I remember I still remember now I can visual the conversation I had with them Strauss and Andy about you know when I got left out and I always think that now and you know selection is hard and and tough and as long as you're honest as a coach or honest with the player and I felt I got that but also I felt that I didn't feel like as well that they thought that was me done I felt like they backed me it was just you're gonna have to just these are there's a few areas you need to get sorted this this and this and then you know fully backed and I think you know as we've talked about this England team now I mean again the you know the the noise that comes with test match, especially Ashes cricket, that confidence you can build within a dressing room that is, you know, it's a safe environment. You're going to be trusted. You're going to be given more games, probably, you know, more games if you're failing than, than Leicester, old England, when they used to play a game and get left out and change the captain. And so I think, you know, creating those environments and I think you sort of, you know when you've got it right. And I think that West Indies trip was probably a massive one for us anyway as a team. It was the start of Andy and Straussie together. So they, they, they probably allowed them to, you know, because it went pretty badly, like they gave them a blank canvas really of how we're going to go forward. And things came pretty quickly. You know, obviously, the, you know, Broadie started to come into that team, you know, Jimmy. So that partnership was just starting to probably lead. And maybe it was the end of a cycle of, you know, Harmus and Hoggard were the, probably the leaders of that attack at the time. And suddenly two new leaders of that attack were starting to come through so the, the, the shape of the team was just changing at that point and then you know that team really started to get together and pretty consistent then from on from then onwards really for probably till the end of 2013-14 you know it's pretty consistent side
1: and that becomes your generation uh, doesn't it I mean thinking about Jimmy and Stuart Broad and Steve Finn coming through roughly at that stage too uh, you enjoy success in South Africa uh, in late 2009 including uh, 140 uh, from you on Boxing Day in Durban uh, which you know many people say is one of your best test innings and you're on this trajectory as a group together towards 2010-11 where you win in Australia for the first time since 86-87 and I mean what a trip and I reckon like only now we've realised how important that SCG test match was for England to kind of finish the job and actually win in Australia rather than just retain the ashes as you had at Melbourne. But, you know, the fact that you went on to make an ashes ton for the first time
2: in that win at Sydney, like it's the cherry on top for you, isn't it? you know, actually I felt like, again, in that tour I was batting as well as I had, just couldn't get in sometimes because the top order were doing such a great job, the top three. Um, I think I got 70 in the first test uh, at Brisbane and, again, things were just clicked. I got a nice big 100 in against Australia, A as well in Hobart. So, like, yeah, my batting was in a great place and as a batting unit, that's what we we just, yeah, we got it right. You know, apart from probably that first innings in, in Brisbane, you know, it was... It was as good as I've ever seen, really, or been part of, really. But it was a really strange tour from the fact that, uh, you know, again, when we turned up in Australia, I remember my first tour of Australia, very much the attention was on how bad England were in the Australian media. It was like, oh, here they are. You know, there was clips of us dropping catches in training and blah, blah, blah. But what was very different in 2011 was there seemed to be a little bit more attention on Australia. So I don't think Hussey was in great form you know, ponting wasn't in great form or so there was a few more conversations that you could have. We were just going about our business quite quietly, you know, playing and, and Straussy yeah. was adamant, you know, and I know there's not as many warm-up games these days, but, you know, was we're going to go out to win these warm-up games. So whatever, even if it's a three-day, if we're set 330, we're going to chase it. It was all about win, 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 whatever. It so we ended up, I think, got on a bit of a roll. We thumped Australia A. we actually out. We sent the bowlers to Brisbane already. So Jimmy, Brodie, I think Finney, Swanee the guys who were going to play that for, have gone so we, the, the, the whole squad had an opportunity and we absolutely thumped a team that had you know Steve Smith Smith in it you know you go through it was actually a very good side now and we thumped them so we were just ticking along building nicely whereas I think like I said there was a bit more question mark over is Hussey going to start is he not which was very different to my experience the time before where it was more on us and you know how bad we were to like I said we just just ticking along behind the scenes no big headlines but gearing up confidently that the the group was ready. And I think that, they, you know, my experience of the three tours I've had there, you know, you have mentally, physically, technically you have to be ready for it. You know, if you're not, you'll get blown away. You know, they're so good at home, you know, and you have to be, and, and, and that we were probably right in the sweet spot as a group as well, individually and as a team, no real mental scars, physically in good place, all the bowlers pretty much fully fit and the depth in the squad as well to deal with, uh, you know, five test matches as well
0: and you find that if you start beating australia in australia then the home press turns on the home team pretty quickly you're used to them beating up the tourists but they'll they'll rip their home team apart if they start to fall behind
2: yeah just to i mean it was amazing again boxing day you, you still remember you know i think like the ponting was the front page of the uh, of the of the paper on christmas day or and then by the time we obviously had that great session on day 1 of boxing day test match it was you know, the headlines were very different to what they were the day before. So you're right, it did, it did change. And, um, you know, some of the the planning was great. You know, having David Saker again, I know he's back with England now, was, was great because, again, he had a a real belief that this team could, to, could could beat Australia. Like, a real, like, he looked in, you know, and, and I think that really helped as well, the fact that it's probably a little bit un-English, really, to, to to have that kind of confidence to say, you're, you're, we are good enough to beat them nearly just go about, you know, politely. But the, the confidence was building that, again, yeah, we, we, we could match them if not, you know, play better than them in those conditions, which was, which was quite incredible. And um, as I said, look back on some of the, some amazing cricket from so as a batting unit, but they also get 20 wickets as well, was, which was great in those conditions.
1: So after beating Australia away, you come home and it's your summer of summers, four test centuries in one season and finishing off with 235 against India when you pump them. And that great documentary that, that Barney Douglas made, The Edge, it does a really good job of documenting the story uh, of how determined you were to go to number one and that's achieved as well through that summer in, in 2011. There's like a romance now uh, about that team, isn't there, from the Windies disaster in 2009, through Australia and winning there in 1011 to top of the world later in the same year. It must be nice being a, a central figure in that story.
2: Yeah, is it like, as you said, I think one of our, uh, you know, it was to get to number one in the world. That was the, and, and to actually do that, winning home in a way is, is absolutely crucial. You know, you, can, you most teams are now winning home games, but if you're going to win on the road, that's the way to get to number one in the world. So that was that was the big end goal. But obviously we knew when we, each series we had really what we needed to do in the, in the short-term goals as well. So, yeah, I mean, carrying on that momentum, you know, getting to number one in the world, which was an amazing achievement again, you know, that summer as well, to, to finally, you know, have that mace, you know, was was a great experience, you know, at the Oval, um, you know, and, and to, to beat India again, like we did quite convincingly, was, um, was awesome. I suppose the only, you know, for that side, as you said, we went from Jamaica to that. We just didn't quite, like the great Australian and the West Indies teams for, for long periods of time, we didn't stay at number one for long enough. That was our you know, the, the, the shame for that team, the reset button and staying, you know, because you, you are now being chased by everyone else. You're not chasing that goal. You know, you've got your goal and now you're being chased by everyone else. So it's a different different vibe. So, you know, that, that was a shame for that team. But yeah, the journey to get there was, was awesome. But winning
0: in India... It looks, I mean, as the more time goes by, the bigger it looks. You know, 2012, no, nobody's done it since. No one's gone to India and won a Test Series since then. I mean, did you, did you understand at the time how significant that was or is it something that, that has become clearer as, as India at home has just become this unstoppable force?
2: Yeah, I think, well, we certainly knew how uh, how big it was at the time. I think it's, like you said, it's got bigger and bigger, hasn't it now? It's, it looks incredibly hard. And I think we had a mixture of, uh, one at the time, again, we had you know, Swan Peak Powers as well and Monty Panasar as well so we actually had two spinners at the top of their game which really helped and the, certainly the star Monty bowl quite fast like we see Jadeja and Axa Patel bowl like driving into the you know, Monty could do that so it sort of it, it worked really well and I think, you know, we went from a mixture of you know, I think it, it, it when we started to win certain, well certainly win the second and the third game it made india really think about what kind of pitch and then we got a really flat one on the you know or a very good wicket on the last one because because we had two spinners that were really working well and and the seamers managed to do a really good holding job and got the ball reversing but again volume of runs was there as well so it put pressure back on them in that start so they adapted again you know as i said the wickets from just turning pitches to maybe a bit flatter because it, it was sort of, you know, we were, obviously, we had two spinners that were performing incredibly well as well. We we're, we're probably matched their spinners at the time. A guy you played a lot of cricket with, both for England and then later with Warwickshire, Jonathan Trott,
1: you and he combine in that marathon effort uh, in Nagpur, that effectively sealed the 2012 win there. I mean, you're 2-1 up and you get the draw there to finish to to make sure of it. You make 116 not out, but bat for 403 minutes and trot down the other end, bats for 405 minutes, both facing in excess of 300 deliveries. Of course, and we talked about this before, you've been known for your cover driving, but
2: this required a very different skill set to dig in for a couple of days. 100%. We certainly weren't entertaining people, obviously, that day, but um, no, you're right. And actually, I look back... um, you know, some of the best innings that I, or I'm very fond of, actually weren't the like you said the attractive kind of stroke play. You know, I still think you know, Cape Town. I think I got seventeen. We batted the day out for a draw. We did the same in Auckland, and days like that. You know, they were you know putting, I suppose, the ego away and your shots and just trying to get the job done. I mean, again, I think again part of that team. You know, watching Collie do that at Cardiff. You know, and because and, and, I didn't play that test match, but that you sort of see that and you watch that and you think, that's what I want to be. I want to be one day, that's what I wanted. I want to bat, you know, save the game if we've got, you know, a day and a half, two days to bat. So to manage to have done that twice with that group as well, you know, to battle, you know, a lot of time. I look back really fondly on those moments because it wasn't just cover drives and, and cuts and offside play. It was, you know, just digging in and and finding a way to get through that would help us again. Win a series, save a series, whatever it was, which, you know, I said I have a lot of fond memories on on those kind of innings.
0: Hi, I'm Natalie Gemanis, and you're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. 2013 is the one that I associate most with you. That was the first um, cricket tour that I worked on and and most of it was spent watching you bat. England win three tests, you make 100 in all of them. It's an extraordinary contribution. Top the runs for the series. And, And it starts at Trent Bridge, you know, that like, I, I still get little shivers sometimes thinking about that test match. It was such an incredible contest. You've got the, the Agar and, and Philip Hughes partnership. You've got Anderson coming through at the end. What, what are your memories of that test match in particular?
2: Well, I actually think on a personal note, it was quite interesting because we played New Zealand at the start and I, think I don't think I got too many runs in that series and it actually felt a little bit out of rhythm and something clicked I remember we trained at Loughborough the day before so I don't know why we were at Loughborough not at Trent Bridge but we were training there in the nets and just something clicked in the nets rhythm and and it felt amazing and I got 20 first innings I think it was and it was quite good conditions to bowl in under lights and I walked off and I, I I think I must have nicked off but I walked off going I found the rhythm was there and it was like 20 first innings which was quite pleasing and then obviously to go on and have the series I did but something just really clicked with my batting and the rhythm which was great but yeah that, that series and that test match you know obviously broadly punching one to first slip and not walking and, and watching Michael Clark's eyes walking past was, uh, was interesting but yeah um, yeah, look, another great Test match. But again, it felt like certainly on that last day as well when we're getting down Brad Haddon and and the guys were going again. It was just bringing back memories of Edgbaston. And actually, I think we won it by twelve runs. And you know, that was, a, that was nearly a piece of piece fourteen of, off the top yeah, of yeah, you know, piece of cake by um, by the Edgbaston one. But um, yeah, again, they, those memories were flooding back about again, you know, an amazing Test match to be part of. On the wicket was just getting slower, lower, flatter. Actually, becoming quite attritional. And actually, you know, I said. Um, know the, the, the I mean again the guys bowled incredibly well to get those 20 wickets but um yeah, amazing to be to be part of that. And again, you're trying to get match-winning performances and scoring a hundred-second innings to set it up for the bowlers. You know, was exactly what I wanted to do. So it's a great start to to that series. So after winning that Ashes series in August at home, you're back on a plane to
1: play another one just a couple of months later, from October 2013. And like the expectations for the Australian team at that point were pretty low. Then in walks Mitchell Johnson, and you know the rest is history. Now, you know, nearly a decade later, how do you reflect on that? How it went? so wrong so quickly for that team that you were a major part of which means that in the end you, you lose five nil for a second time in Australia
2: yeah I, I look back and yeah I think if we had that normal break of two years or so I think we, that the team that would have gone to Australia would have been very different whether I think you know at the time as you said Mitchell Johnson was he came to the white ball series here and quite a few of us got rested for the white ball series and he bowled quite quick I think he hit trotty on the head or KP and word was coming that he's bowling quite quick. So there was a bit of something there. But I do think that the fact that the re- rescheduling was obviously, again, for the World Cup to make sure there was no Ashes trip or pre-World Cup or whatever the main reason was. Yeah, it was a bit of a negative for us because, we, again, I actually believe, and most guys would be honest enough to say that, actually, as I said, when you go to an Australia tour, you want to mentally be in a great place. And we probably know now that there's quite a few that were... I reckon if, if it was a normal... tour, Most of those guys might have retired at the end of the summer of Ashes I wouldn't be surprised if Swanee probably would have close to retiring and obviously Trotty had a few of those issues which was which was really tough to watch and obviously he's come through that now but the yeah I think that team would have been very different if it was a normal cycle and probably a little bit of arrogance of us to think well we'll just go again and win whereas we weren't the preparation wasn't the same and wasn't the the detail wasn't there and I think that the fact that you know probably a little bit of arrogance that we'd won. We'll just go and, we'll just go and do it again, which we, sh- we saw again that, you know, under Darren Lehman, there was a fire in the belly there of Australia, you know, that at home, Mitchell Johnson letting him go. Yeah, we, we weren't definitely not up to that. And um, whether that was a bit of arrogance, thinking we'd just get the job done, it'd probably a bit of a mistake, really.
0: It did seem unreasonable as well. I remember thinking at the time from the administrators to say, oh, you've just played Ashes and you've just won it. Cool, enjoy that for six weeks and then just go and play another one. It, it it seemed unreasonable on both sets of players. Was there any sense of that at the time? Was there resentment of that? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I don't remember hugely. I mean, there is, but you just got it done. You know, that was what it was. You had to get your head round it and, and, and get on. Like you said, it probably worked more in Australia's favour that a home Ashes series at the back end of and away one is that it suited them more than it suited us uh, and as I said probably they were bringing in guys who were fresh like Mitchell and, and raring to go and probably a point to prove as we were probably a little bit more I said mentally jaded and probably guys who were you know not in a great place physically um, to, to, to the challenge that was going to come and as I said Australia were you know were, were perfectly ready for that and you know outplayed us a lot and we, we just couldn't stand up to that pressure. So much has been said in the years since about facing Mitch when he was bowling
1: so quickly. Give us your impression of that visceral experience of facing a bloke who's bowling where, where he can you know, take your stumps out with one ball and, and take your helmet off with the next.
2: Yeah, like it's, I think we always knew Mitchell. I mean, again, he's always been fast. I mean, there's no doubt. Every series we've played in, he's had serious pace. I think with this one, he just had everything clicked in terms of line, length it was a real challenge and obviously his action and angle could be awkward but he just got it right didn't he in terms of you know the the lengths he hit you know and and the pace was ridiculous as well and probably the quickest he has bowled. but we knew we knew that was always going to be there and I think what we didn't do as a batting unit when you've got somebody bowling like the same with like when Mark Wood bowled recently Australia at Headingley You know, if your batting lineup, if you, if they're, if they're still six, eight overs into their spell, and they're fresh. You know, eight, nine, ten, eleven haven't got a chance really. And that was what was happening in that series that we were exposing that middle lower order to him when he was still fresh, and they just weren't gonna weren't gonna be able to deal with that. So as a batting unit, yeah, we we didn't put enough overs in his legs really to just you know. By doing that, you know, he's naturally going to, the pace is going to go down after test match, test match, but he was just so fresh all the time. And actually Harris goes under the radar as well, how good he was. I mean, some of the deliveries he bowled in that series as well, you know, to Cookie at Perth. I remember that was it first inning, first ball of the second innings. I mean, again, underrated bowler really, but in that series, he he was quite incredible as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, my memory of that series is you looking like the one player who was comfortable Mm. against it. Uh, Like I remember you batting in Adelaide and you looked a million bucks. Mm. Um, I went back and had a look at the scorecard for that. 72 not out. You made 72 out of 106 runs after coming to the crease yeah. uh, and, and then everyone else behind you, uh, below you in the order. Uh, I think the scorecard goes one, naught, naught, seven, naught and two after you've come in. And it looked like you were on a different plane that day. I've got this memory of you playing this uppercut over about third slip, just leaning back and, and knocking Johnson away. Did you feel comfortable or was that an illusion or was it that you were well enough place to handle it.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first three test matches I felt in a pretty good place. I mean, the disappointing thing for me was, like, and then probably my numbers at the end of the series didn't suggest, like you said, I felt like I played really well in the first three and dropped off. You know, I didn't score any at Melbourne or Sydney. You know, I think that was was the disappointing thing for me. I would like to have contributed more in those last two, which on a personal note wouldn't have looked, you know, like I said, statistically as... You know, as a group, we just didn't score enough runs. But I felt in the first three I was in a good place and scoring and actually playing quite well. I mean, the great thing about the... I suppose the only good thing about that series, I suppose, was the emergence of Ben Stokes, really. You know, like the 100 he got at Perth, seeing a guy, again, the way he bowled, the way he fought, you know, you knew this guy was a proper cricketer that was coming through that's going to have a massive part of of English cricket's um, future. And being out in the middle for a period of time, again, watching him play like he did, you know that that was uh, that was quite incredible to watch actually, and we knew we had a special player on our hands. Pretty much putting a full stop on your career is the
1: twenty fifteen Ashes. Now I know you play a few Test matches after that, but after a decade, uh, from the first time when you play Australia in two thousand and five, you win again this time three two. Another. Ashes Triumph, the fifth that you're part of, which is quite the thing when you consider how many fine cricketers never achieved that even once. I have a recollection in that series of your Edgbaston performance, there being so much goodwill towards you. You make a couple of half centuries, you hit the winning runs from memory as well, on your home ground, of course, all of this. We often think about and talk about players having it click one final time. Uh, for you, that m- must have been a pretty satisfying few days at the office.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, I look back again in that and I think, you know, I, I, don't, I have no regrets in my actual career or anything like that. You know, I felt like I gave everything I had. I worked as hard as I could be. I was blessed with some talent. I, and I remember having conversations with Cookie, uh, Straussie and, and Paul Farbrace at the time saying, oh, I think I'm ready at the over. I think I'm ready to retire actually. Mentally, I just feel like I'm in that place. And what I probably know now, in hindsight, you know, I did go on and play. I was offered a central contract, and you know, was persuaded to stay on and play. And you know, I, I even think in the Pakistan series after, I think was the third leading run scorer. So it was okay. I was averaging 35 in the series. It was, you know, it was all right. But it, I think what I know now is just mentally burnt out. You know, I think just being on the road, like we had been, like we'd done. I think if I'd have had that chance again, I probably would have taken a step back. I probably would have said, I, I'm having the winter off. But I don't think at that time, it was maybe as we are in the world we're in now, where it, was, it felt like that was what you could do. Whereas I think we're a lot more open to, you know, taking a step back, freshening up, coming back again. And that was the only thing like I said, I don't have a regret with a lot of, well, anything really. But I'd look back now with a bit more, where I was, and I think I was just absolutely fried. You know, and and when you're playing at that level, you have to constantly be trying to get better every day. You have to be clear in your mind. You have to be enjoying it. I stopped enjoying it. I stopped enjoying training. And, you know, that was the moment, like I said, I look back now and just wish that I'd had just said, nah, you know, I'm having a winter off rather than maybe going, okay, let's keep cracking on. Let's doing it. And then it came to an end anyway. But again, yeah, to be part of that Ashes series again was was great. But uh, I was very close, as I said, that you know the conversations I had to, to to again like trying to find the right moment to leave the game, you know, at that level. You know, you love playing for England, but um, you know, yeah, it was obviously the Pakistan series would have, was my last one. Which again, if I'd have actually had a winter off, would I have played more? Would I have played? Would I come back in, refresh, re- and played another two years? I don't know. But what I do know now is that probably mentally, I was just needed to take a step back and and, and sort of re-energize and, and come again.
0: That's interesting that it's. The the, the mentalities changed uh, from an administrative sense, from a coaching sense over those few years. That you know, it, it was either you retire after the ashes, or you keep going until you get dropped and never come back. But but there was no sense that a player could just step out of the game for a bit and come back in. And and I guess sitting there over the next couple of years while England go through about fifteen different number threes trying to find someone who can bat first drop, there must have been points where you thought, I could probably step back in and do that job, you know.
2: Yeah, there are times. Uh, and, uh, there was times I did try and reach out because I was playing some decent cricket for the first year or two back with Warwickshire, you know, and it didn't, didn't seem to happen really. But, you know, I think, yeah, I don't, again, again, I don't really have too many regrets on, you know, and, and you obviously want to watch the team do well. But there's probably times when I thought I could have I got back in that side and, and played a bit more. With your playing trajectory
1: from that point, returning to Captain Warwickshire, passing 20,000 runs in first-class cricket in 2018, which is not something many people from here will do, I suspect, into the future, just the way that the modern game works. But yeah, adjusting to life back on the county beat, not having to be on a plane somewhere or or checking into hotels all around the world. How did you find that um, adjustment? I, I, I mean, I, I remember you were keen to make a comeback a year or two later. There were newspaper reports saying you are available if selected but I mean equally that intensity can only drop off once you leave England ranks having been there for so long
2: it certainly does change there's no doubt i said it, um, it's um it's a big shift when you you know you're you know playing for England you know knowing what you do and playing in front of those crowds and and those highs that you get as well as the lows you don't quite get the highs and lows in county cricket you just don't you know the ashes you know losing in ashes or winning in ashes you know you get emotionally you get some amazing like different feelings i mean one of my things when I went back to Warwickshire you know was it was about, I suppose, trying to pass on. You know, I've been lucky enough to have a long England career, a long time winning trophies with Warwickshire, but now can I pass on this next? You know, you've got Sam Hain coming through. We had, I think my last innings was with Dan Mousley, who's now kicking on as well with Warwickshire. So, you know, to have partnerships with those guys in the middle and nearly a bit of a changing of the guard. You know, Trotty had just retired two or three years before and, you know, trying to pass on knowledge to the next generation of Warwickshire players was what part of... You know, in my head, whether it quite worked out that way was to finish with England, play a bit of county cricket and pass on to the next generation. It wasn't all smooth, but I felt like that was quite a nice way to, to leave the game, as I said, to, you know, to, to, to bat in the middle with these younger guys coming through. They're going to be the next, you know, guys who are going to be the senior players of Warwickshire for the next 10, 15 years as well. So that, that was sort of the plan. You know, we got to win a, a trophy as well at Lords. We had some lows. We got relegated one year. And then we came back and so there's some real highs and lows. But the, che- the team started to emerge... And again, I, was, I, had, I still had a year left on my contract at Warwickshire, but it just felt the right time to, to move out of the game now. And uh, like I said, I wanted to get into the coaching and I had some other things, but also I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to leave the game still playing decent enough cricket, not, you know, not being selected for a format or another, you know, and, and just being there, you know, I thought it was the right time and, it, you know, it's sort all of worked out pretty well.
0: It must have been a bit interesting and a bit strange ending up at the Hobart Hurricanes and and suddenly, you know, Ricky Ponting's kicking around on on your side of the fence rather than being the, the angry man over the other side of the field.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's been interesting, like I said, working with all the guys or some of the guys that I've played against. You know, it's actually fascinating when you, again, when you come into, again, even with New Zealand now, you have a perception when you watch players from a distance how they would be and then they're completely different to what you'd expect them when you chat to them or you're in the nets with them or it's, it's quite fascinating. And, and the same with, with those guys, yeah, you know, Langer in particular, I spent probably more time with, you know, when he was coached there. Again, like, had some really good conversations and just the, like, we touched on it before, just the conversations about how they went about it and what their dressing room was like again you sort of nearly felt they were unbeatable and they weren't they weren't human at times but they had the same vulnerabilities that most teams have I think that's the beauty probably now the world we're in in cricket now with franchises there's so much overlap now It actually takes a bit of the myth away from teams so I think that that Australian team had the myth that they were that good Whereas when you get to know them as friends or teammates, it takes away that bit of myth. And you just go back to watching the ball and playing a guy that you've just, you know, had a beer with one night or you've gone out for dinner with and you've had a laugh and a joke rather than, you know, they're coming at you and being aggressive on the field. You know, it takes away that. So I think that, you know, that, that's sort of taken a lot away from that. Probably the generations before of these great teams is... Because, you, 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 like I said, guys play with each other, and there's no hiding place now in terms of everyone knows each other so well now, don't they, on and off the field? Whereas I think that, that, that time was a little bit different. There's a bit more of a myth to teams.
1: Between gigs in the Big Bash and at Derbyshire, you've been involved in plenty over the last few years England 19s, the Lions, Birmingham Phoenix now, as we said at the start, with the, with the Black Caps. We've spoken about this before, but you're pretty ambitious, aren't you? I mean, you want to be an international head coach.
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. I want to be a head coach. I want to be challenging myself. That's that's definitely on there I mean again my goal for this since I finished or getting in was working with some of the best people I can work with So, you know, i've been fortunate enough to work with guys who are head coaches of the IPL You know international coaches like mickey arthur there, you know international coach for 15 years, you know Be able to pick their brains watch them operate gather as much information as you can be really clear on what I How I want to go about you know teams watching like again what brendan McCullum's managed to do with this england team you know all these kind of information you can gather and then putting it into your own style so you know that's what i want to do i want to be ambitious and and have a real crack at getting into it and, and just being around these guys now and back for the first time in international cricket for a while yeah just yeah it gets it all going again and you know and then what you love doing really and that's why i suppose that anyway as a personality i just love getting in there, love helping other players trying to be the best they can be know and and around the team so yeah pretty ambitious and yeah looking forward to more challenges that that come and fair enough I mean you've made a
1: massive contribution to the game as a player it's great to see you striving to do so again as a coach it's been wonderful uh, having you share some of those stories with us on the final web thank you Ian Bell thanks guys thank you
0: you